episode 13, a good old-fashioned ghost story. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinepunks Podcast Network. away from the road for an instant, just to confirm that this strange pale phantom was indeed Lee Van. She said, It's a little dangerous out here for you, isn't it? Why, Cassandra asked, It's no more dangerous for me than anyone else. In the city beneath the black sun, there's a monster on every corner, and teeth in every shadow. Everyone has the same crap to deal with. But not everyone, Creepathon shot back as a crazy kajillionaire kicking his goons ass around. Creepatel was referring to the man with Ray, the entrepreneur who walled off the center of the city and made there a fortified keep for anyone who prized security above all else. Recently, the man with Ray has sent emissaries out into the outer edges of the city to contact the administration of St. Peter's Hospital and the leaders of some of the ruling street gangs. The demands were simple. Bring the woman Cassandra to the man McRae. No one had taken up his offer. Cassandra, with her red hood and her sickle blade, was known all throughout the city. There were those who only knew her as a silhouette dating back into the ever-present night after blood had been spilled. But they knew her all the same. To turn her in would be blasphemy, punishable by death. And everyone knew it. But, Priya Patel admonished the passengers, that doesn't mean that someone won't turn you in at some point. Something could always go wrong. Anything could always go wrong, Cassandra replied. That's the world. Besides, the old man's employees have really blown the side down. It's crazy easy to get away from them. I even started singing the song from Aladdin when I get away from them, just to make them look like dopes. Song from Aladdin, Priya asked. One he sings when he gets away from the guards and makes me look like dopes, Cassandra said. Ah, right on. Cassandra laughed. Besides, there's so much better shit to be afraid of than that shriveled nutsack. Like, she gestured to the city rolling above and below the ambulance. You know, everything. There's just about every kind of monster you can imagine out there. She thought for a moment. Except ghosts. I've yet to run into one of those. Maybe ghosts are the one thing that don't really exist. No, Priya Patel said. Ghosts are real. That much I know. Not that I've seen one down here. Not exactly. 
he had a right to a dead man once, but that was... I don't even know what that was. It was a mark of what conditions were like in the city through the black sun that Cassandra let the mark mark pass without comment. Instead, she said, so what happened to it? Not to me, Priya replied. To my father, back before. She chuckled. You know, I just realized that's almost Halloween. Do you like hearing a spooky story? The white of Cassandra's grin seemed to float across the dark from the cab. Always, she said. So Priya Patel told the story just as her father had told it to her. It goes like this. day of the week he had to himself was Sunday, the day which he devoted to his family. There's a particular Sunday that we have in mind, for this particular Sunday was Halloween. Now, each Sunday, Roger Patel would awake in the early hours of the morning and catch a train out into the suburbs. His mother had moved out there shortly after Roger's father had departed the west for battle. On some Sundays, it was hard for Roger Patel to remember why he still made these trips, given that all his mother ever did was criticize his appearance, his weight, his clothing, his fingernails, his smells, his posture, his skin care, his everything. Theoretically, he could be doing anything he wanted with his Sundays, but instead he spent each one on the spooky plastic covering of his mother's couch, letting her read off the seemingly bottomless list of faults bound with his life. This Sunday was no different. The only deviation came at the end of the visit as Roger Patel put his coat back on and made for leave. Here, his mother said, handing him a red rubber ball marked with a white stripe around his nose. I thought Priya might like this. Roger Patel could hardly hide his confusion. This was not the sort of thing his mother did. Not ever, not once. He almost thought to ask why, why this sudden moment of seemingly casual kindness, but this would have violated every compact of communication that existed between him and his mother and had existed for their entire lives. So, he simply said thank you and promised that later he would have Priya call so that she could thank her grandmother personally. And then he hurried out so he could catch his train and not have to see his mother anymore. Walking to the train station, Roger Patel wrapped his coat tight around himself. Though the sun was shining and the sky was clear and blue, the air was cold and the wind strong. As he neared the train station, Roger Patel was seized by a sudden urge to turn on his heel and run back to his mother's house. And what would he do once he was there? Perhaps he would scream at her, pour out every hurt feeling and every open wound within his heart that she had left. Perhaps he would weep before her, telling her he forgave her everything and loved her still. Perhaps
say nothing. They simply fold her into his arms, let her scream or weep or whatever she needs in her heart. Perhaps they had time yet. But the train pulled in, anticipated these thoughts that didn't go and leave, and Robert Cassell got on board without another thought. As he sank into his seat, Robert Cassell felt more tired than he had ever before in his entire life. He retrieved the ball from his pocket, still not entirely convinced that what had happened had his mother given an unbidden gift, a toy. Yet the ball was solid in his hand, and he could hear the confection between the red and white portions. He had made sure Priya made that phone call, and perhaps then he could say the things he wished to say to his mother. Perhaps it would be easier over the phone. The weight of all his life came crashing down upon Robert Cassell as the train shook itself awake and began to slowly trudge out of the suburbs and back towards the city, back to where flames of foliage would be replaced by grim gray buildings whose color and countenance did not waver no matter the season. Robert Cassell closed his eyes and began to sleep. And that's where the trouble really started. train was gliding along a track made of night. Robert Cassell's train had departed at noon, and the trip to the city lasted about a half hour at most. Well, he thought, that's not right. He checked his watch, but the hands spun anxiously. He went to the window, trying to ascertain exactly where he was in the train's journey. He knew most every town they passed through to and from the city by heart. Outside, it was endless night, without bottom or future. He could not even see the ground beneath the train as it moved in a jerking forward. He could not even be certain as to what exactly it was that the train was running on top of. In one moment, it seemed like the train was coasting on water, on a blank black sheet in the next, even as texture was gone, and it seemed the train was running on night itself. No, he decided, this is not right at all. He had to find someone. But the cabin was empty. He stood and began to move down the aisle and stopped. He was sure that the cabin had been empty. It had taken only a glance around to be sure of that. But now, as he stood and as he moved, from out of the corner of his eye, he saw something. What the something was, he could not have said. But it seemed to him to be a shadow in the shape of a man. Robert Cassell froze and turned his head just slightly so he could maintain a position in which he saw the shadow man. Just as he was beginning to believe he had imagined the figure due to his panic, he tilted his head just that little extra bit, and there, there again, was the man with the shadow. Robert Cassell did not dare move. The shadow man seemed content to sit in his seat 
saying nothing to arouse his terror or his terror. As he stood there, Roger Cattell became aware that the human man was not the only such shape in the train compartment. Note, note all the seats within the train were occupied by them that were alike with his phantom. It did occur to Roger Cattell that he was imagining it. He had stayed too long within a dream and flown into the next one when he had mistaken for waking. It would not be the first time. Once, when he had only just begun to drive a cab, he dreamt of walking through a city that was exactly like his own, save that the skies were red and the people in the populated streets were the dead and not the living. He had roamed for hours, hunted by a thing he could never see and would never name, this red world seeming as real to him as the one with the golden sun and the blue skies. Only as the terror had closed in on him, only then had he managed to wrest himself back into the world of solid objects. The thought gave him pause. Roger Cattell reached into his coat pocket, and his hand closed on the red rubber ball his mother had given him to give to Tina. The ball was cool with sensitive fingers. It had weight, and it had texture. Two, in fact, with a white stripe as distinct feel from the red of the rest of the ball. This ball was real. And so was he. Never before in a dream had an object had this degree of tangible reality, which meant that this was not a dream. This was happening. Roger Cattell was on a train peopled by phantoms, and the train was moving through endless night to a destination he could only imagine. He wanted to scream. He wanted to leap. When he heard the sound of crying, he thought at first that it was in fact his own. But it soon became clear that this was not the case. Somewhere else, there was a someone else. And that someone was crying her heart out. Roger Cattell did not want to go further into the train, but nor could he stand the idea of standing still. He began to walk, slowly, as if any step would trigger the alarm that would rouse the shadow men to rise from their placid seats and swarm him. He wondered, briefly, madly, what death by shadow would feel like. He assumed, for reasons he could never have stated, that it would be cold. He moved from one compartment to the next. As he stepped out, the wind whipped at his face and pulled at his clothes. He strained to see the young limbs of the train, but could not. There was only this dark, and only the inevitable forward motion. The shadow people waved here as well. He could only see them out of the corner of his eye, only ever out of the corner of his eye. Their faces were downcast, as if each one was a sea in some private deep they would never share. Roger Cattell walked like that for he did not know how long. He lost count of compartments. There was no end to the shadow people, and the train
train never slowed or quickened its pace. With each compartment, the weeping grew louder and louder until it seemed to Robert the Bell that the weeping formed the world, that the weeping gave shape to the floor and to the walls, and the weeping gave engine to the train and speed to the wheels. At the height of the pounding grief, Robbie Patel hears the moment when she almost ends it at all. She stood between one compartment and the next, and her heart had fled from her. The weeping was as a weight around her neck, and it married to the always-present lashing of the wind. Together, Wanda both looked at his face and pulled at his hands and bid him into the dark. And he might have done it. One more moment, and he might have done it. He felt himself beginning to do it. It was so easy to fall. It requires nothing of you. Just as gravity seemed poised to drop him into that bottomless night, Roger Bedell tore himself free, and all but bodily hurled himself through the door and into the next compartment. It was there he found the void. so it seemed at first. But as Roger Patel drew near where the boy lay huddled against the back of his seat, he saw the shadow seeping from underneath the skin. The boy was fading into it. He wore a pirate costume. The costume was stained by injuries that Roger Patel could not bear to behold. The boy hushed his weeping when he saw Roger Patel draw near. His eyes shone, wet from the tears, and bright with hope. Who spoke to you? Roger Patel would tell his daughter. But he spoke to me in the language of the dead. I couldn't hear what he was saying, and I could see him, see him realize that. I saw his frustration grow, his anger. When he finally realized there was no way for me to understand what he was saying, he threw his face into his hands and began to scream and cry again. What did you do, Daddy? The young Tia had asked. I took him in my arms and I hugged him, Robert Patel said. I don't know if that's what he wanted, but it was the only thing that made sense to my broken heart. I held that dead boy in my arms and wept with him. And he hugged me back squeezing me with a strength I would not have imagined one so small or so thin could have possessed. I don't know how long we held each other like that, a living man and a dead boy, sharing one, one shared moment of grief. When we did part, I didn't know what to say, or if he would even understand me. red ball with the white stripe, and I gave it to him. How his eyes lit up in the darkness. How instantaneous and pure was his reaction. As deep as our grief had been, that's how high the helmet of elation hit. The 
the dilation to return to this quiet. I felt the sun prickling at my spine, and as I glanced behind me in the manner I had been during my travels, I realized that the shadow people were no longer oblivious either. Every one of those phantom heads rose up in one motion, their focus now directed entirely at me. I could feel it, feel their stare, like spiders crawling up my skin. It was the dead boy that saved me. He got up from his seat and he took me by the hand. He led me down the aisle past the army of the dead bent on forgetting him in their midst. He led me out to the space between compartments, but now, instead of that faceless void, I saw a glimmer on the horizon, a red star. The boy spoke once more in the language of the dead, but before I could say anything back, even I'm reminded that I did not know what he was saying. He reached out and with that strange strength of his, he shoved me off and out. I had a moment of incredible vertigo like I was actually falling up. And for one instant, for one instant it seemed to me that I could see the whole of the train, see every compartment of its body stretching backwards into forever. At this, Roger Patel fell silent. But then what happened, Sinclair asked from the passenger seat as Priya Patel began to listen. Well, Priya Patel said, then apparently my father came to on a bench at the train station where he had apparently been napping all day, missed trick-or-treating completely that year. He stuck by his story about the phantom train, or I guess the phantom people on the train, for all the rest of his life. Did you believe him? Cassandra asked. I did, Priya Patel said. There's a lot of things, my dad, and not all or even most of them were especially good things. There were some things he just couldn't see. But he wasn't a liar. Besides, she said, there are way better lies he could have told me to have trouble with my mom for running so late. And to my grandmother for leaving after all, she was awfully mad at him about that and never let him forget it. And every time she'd start in, he would just say, give it to the ghost boy, and he'd get it back one day. Cassandra laughed from the passenger seat. That's something to look forward to, I guess. Priya Patel did not tell Cassandra about the last part of her story, the part that made her believe, even to this day, that some feelings this encounter had in fact happened. Never talked about that part with anybody, ever. On the day her father died, Priya had visited him in the hospital, St. Peter's, the same place she now lived and worked. As she sat on the edge of the bed with those shriveled remaining pieces of who had been Roger Patel, Priya heard him try to speak. I'm sorry, her father had said. For what, Daddy? She had replied. I should have been in the war, he said. Had your head and legs been rich, had you been better with training, I feel for that boy I should have 
this cost me too much. It's okay, Daddy, Peter felt said. I know you're just a teenager. spoken the language of the dead, remember? You couldn't understand him. That's bad, said Father Kurt. Oh no. The last part. What he said. Kurt froze. He couldn't remember where or who. I know what he said. Right there. Peter Cassell Machines that fed off his illness began to scream. His voice was a whisper, but she heard it clear. What he said was, Sandra off at a random street corner and watched as the other woman slouched off towards God knew what kind of danger. Not until the red hood had entirely faded from view did Peter take the ambulance out of park and drive on. She was tired. She always felt tired whenever she thought of that story, and finally telling it to someone else had done little to exercise the pain she associated with the tale. She had never been able to bring herself to talk about her father's strange story between his death and this night. For so long, she had regarded the story of the train as just some strange game her father had decided to play long past the time when it was cute or applicable. He was not a man to give in to the fits of romance or fantasy, but he had been the kind who refused to let things go and make peace with something that had once stood. How many times had she puzzled over those final words? There were times, many times, when she convinced herself that she had misheard them, rewriting her past to make her present make sense, fitting together the, her life like puzzle pieces. Sometimes, many times, this possibility terrified her even more than the notion of the final grand chaos. As she pulled into St. Peter's, Priya Patel turned the ambulance off and closed her eyes, letting the exhaustion flow through her. Halloween was the time when the doors were open. around, but there was no one in the ambulance and no one on either side. She turned once more and once more found that no one was there. I'm going to sleep next to me, she thought. I need a good night's sleep. She really did, but Priya Patel did not get one. Because when she opened the door to her room, waiting for her on the floor inside, sitting just as patiently as a little dog awaiting their master to was a red rubber ball with a white stripe around the middle.
everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Snub Punk Podcast Network. My name is Greg Foley, and I write, produce, and perform the show. Black Sun Dispatches is only one of many great shows offered by the Cinepunks Network. Uh, you can also check out Cinepunks, Loud Fast Philly, Horror Business, The Man Date. Uh, we also have a bunch of other cool shows. We're continuously doing new ones. And the site also has tons of really cool writing that you can't find anywhere else. So even if for whatever reason you don't like this show, uh, there is bound to be something that you will like on the Cinepunks Network. Uh, our, this show and Cinepunk is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. You can hit them up at xlvacx.com. That's xlvacx.com. That's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. So thank you to them for sponsoring us. Uh, if you'd like to be a Cinepunk sponsor, uh, that'd be great. You can sponsor the, the site and the shows at our Patreon, which is available on the website. Uh, very easy to find, very easy to use. If you like the show, uh, please rate and review on iTunes. Uh, Blessing and Dispatches was not available on iTunes for a while. Uh, I'm happy to say that we are back. You can download us from iTunes and you can rate and review us. Please do and help spread the word about the show. Uh, please find other ways to spread the word about the show too. If you got Twitter, Facebook, uh, Semaphore, uh, whatever comes to your mind, please help spread the word about this show. Um, and if you know you don't like the show, that, that's fine. Lots of people are wrong about lots of things. Uh, so just you know, keep it to yourself. You can find me on Twitter at the true Brendan F, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. Uh, please hit us up. Uh, we'll do lots of updates for new episodes, hints about what's coming up, uh, news, all that good stuff. Black Sun Dispatches, uh, our logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers, and the music is Winter by E.L. Heath. So we're going to be, uh, this episode going on the Twitter hot coming out right now, uh, and the next episode will be on November 13th, I believe, is what we want to say. Yep, November 13th. So I hope you guys liked this episode, and I hope you'll be there for us for our next one. And like I said, please help spread the word to people who maybe haven't heard the show. Thanks, everybody. Bye.